Welcome to the Smart Planning 101 Podcast, Episode 17. I'm Nicole Whip, and I'm your host. Hello, Smart Planners. Thanks for joining me today. And we are continuing our series on the five things that adult children of aging parents need to know now. In this episode, we will be discussing the different options that there are for healthcare for our parents when they are in what we call crisis or maybe not even such crisis mode, but really the time of life when a parent may need additional assistance. And this can be assistance with everything from things as simple as paying the bills to helping getting up out of the chair to preparing meals to dressing and bathing and walking all the way to full-on medical care or a protected environment for somebody that may have advanced dementia or Alzheimer's that's wandering. So long-term care encompasses all of these types of things, but there's a range of things that might be available. And so in this episode, Audrey Earhart of Elder Council and I will be discussing what those options are. We also will be talking about when you may want to access some of those options, and also some of the things that you probably should be thinking about when you are making these decisions, because there are financial and legal consequences to these decisions as well. So I hope you enjoy this episode. If you missed part one of this series, you can find it at smartplanning101.com forward slash 15. And that episode is about how the cost of long-term care is rising and why you need to be aware of what that means. And then also the second installment is at smartplanning101.com forward slash 16. That episode is about why basic estate planning really is not enough for aging parents. Thanks for listening. So I think now, Nicole, we're going to leave our first and second topic where the cost of long-term care is rising and the basic estate planning isn't enough today for our older Americans and turn to our third topic, which is long-term care options that are available. Yes. So there's a lot of long-term care options that are available and people may not realize what they all are. So let's talk about them. I think that's the great place to turn to now because so many people, you know, and I think probably it's, it's because of TV, television, and popular movies, you always see the healthy person immediately end up going into the uh, long-term care facility, into the nursing home, and then they never leave. And so there's often, I think, a, a, a wrong opinion of what happens in the meantime. Uh, for many, for some of us, we will end up going directly from um, the home to a skilled nursing facility, a 24-7 uh, custodial care environment. But there's a lot of steps in between that I think all your listeners need to be aware of. And, and first and foremost is the fact that you don't necessarily have to leave your home. Um, there are a great number of home health care companies that can come into your home and provide both hands-on care and then another type of care called companion care. So actually having care that's not hands-on, so it's not lifting you out of bed and it's not um, bathing you and things like that, but instead c- uh, c- professionals who can come in and clean your home and make you light meals and do your grocery shopping, more of a companion care choice. And it doesn't have to be a company. It could be a family member that you choose to hire under contract in your state um, to, to do these services for you as well. And that would be a family caregiver option who could provide some of those um, home health care options to you. So I would, I would say to our listeners, you know, there's really not the requisite that you have to leave home. And for when I was practicing for my clients, often home health care started 
after a hospital stay or after a spell of illness and the doctor prescribed some uh, rehabilitation or some therapy under Medicare. And so they had a, a program for 30 to 60 days, getting them back on their feet, building up some muscle strength, some mus- muscle memory. But then they got comfortable with that benefit and decided to keep it coming on, keep it going on. Often our clients and our seniors become isolated in their homes. You know, 28% of our seniors are living alone and don't have a lot of contact. And, and home health care can provide a much-needed respite, especially when we get to the point when we're not able to leave our houses easily or drive around or and our friends maybe can't come over. So a home health care for companion care or for hands-on care can be an excellent choice. There are also respite facilities. Um, you know, I, I have a toddler, and, and he goes to a nursery school, which they, they cringe when I say the word daycare. But I, I do say the word daycare because it's part of my vocabulary because many of my seniors were able to benefit from using adult or senior-focused daycares. Um, for our spouses who are taking care of loved ones who have dementia, for our adult children who are taking care of a parent with Alzheimer's, it's very, very difficult, and those are long hours. One of my favorite books that's been written on the subject is called The 36-Hour Workday, and it talks about you know all the implications and the stress that comes with that. And so one of the options that's in your community that you may not be aware of for your listeners today is that there are adult daycares that are specifically geared to take care of seniors who may have memory issues or um, incontinency issues that you can bring them in and have two or three hours to yourself, get some things done, and they're in a safe and protected environment. If you're not aware of those, you know, look into your senior resource center or ask your uh, geriatrician um, who's available in your community. But I would say we've got home health care, family caregivers, respite facilities, And then past that, we also have independent living facilities and assisted living facilities. And some of my favorite facilities in Florida are what I would call a step-up facility, where an an older American could enter completely independent, just basically, you know, getting to the point where maybe they didn't want to prepare their own meals, maybe they were living alone and they'd like that socialization aspect. Um, I had a great time once a month. I would go over to a local assisted, uh, independent and assisted living facility. It was a joint facility and have happy hour with my clients who are living there. These are great places that you move into essentially an apartment, but they'll also do some meals for you, some light housekeeping. Um, and you can be completely independent. But what I would say to your listeners is you might want to consider looking at a facility that does have an assisted option. So you can bring in a home health care company to help you if you start to have some decline in your health. And that's something we always want to be aware of. And I, I frequently talk to clients about it when I was practicing because I would want you to choose a place where you essentially, what I would call, age in place. You wouldn't have to leave. I know this has become a very popular catchphrase, aging in place, but you wouldn't have to leave your facility. You could stay in your exact facility that you're living in um, while you're independent and then bring in care, stay in the same appointment, in the same apartment as you need more advanced care later on. And hopefully there might even be a skilled nursing facility close to campus um, because that's one of the things that we form strong relationships in our life now. And also as we age, we don't stop making friends. And when we make those friends in our independent living facility, it would be great that you would stay in the same room so they could come visit you and you could keep up that socialization aspect, even if you suffered some health declines. Right. Um, And so I'd like to just talk a little bit about two of these things that you've discussed, which is, first of all, adult children as caregivers. And I think for many of our Mm -hmm. clients, that is a 
preferable thing because um, it's much more cost effective and it's a familiar person and, you know, somebody that loves us, we can trust them. There's a lot of good reasons. And then, of course, the children, I think for the most part, they prefer it as well because it's their mom or dad and they want to be the one to provide the care and and those kinds of things. That being said, um, and you made a brief mention about this um, that there can be caregiver contracts with your adult children. And right. I do want to stress the importance of caregiver contracts with adult children, because that in most states, if not all states, if you fail to have an adult caregiver contract with your adult child and you're giving them money, you're going to be doing a thing called gifting, which will cause a penalty if you need nursing home care. And so you don't want to be in a situation where that's happening. You need to have the legal thing in place for that, right? I, I agree. And, and one of the things to keep in mind is we can't go back in time. So if you've been caring for a parent, and most I, I don't know of any state where we can go back in time. If you have been caring for a parent um, and they they have wanted to pay you, but maybe they haven't yet, and you say, well, I'd like to have a contract now going forward to your elder law attorney. You say, but I've cared for mom and dad for the last two years. Can I get reimbursed on an hourly basis for that? Chances are no. So you want to, the minute that you start taking care of your parent for a number of reasons, have that contract in place so you can get paid. Right, and it's not about like nobody trusts anybody, like which we always think of contracts as like, oh, you do it because it's a trust issue. That's not what this is about. You do it because you don't want to cause legal problems related to the money down the road that you won't be able to control at that time. Um, Because one of the things about this kind of thing, for example, because people always say to me, Audrey, they'll be like, well, why can't I pay my kid or why can't my mom? I mean, I'm taking all this time out of my life. Like, why shouldn't they pay me? Well, we're not saying don't do that. Although I'm going to make a comment about that in just a second. We're just saying that if you're going to do it, do it in the right way that it doesn't cause other legal problems down the road. And in order for that to happen so that you don't cause the legal problems, you need the caregiver contract, right? I know you and I, I, I agree. I know you and I talk frequently, Nicole, about the fact that just because we think something is a normal course of action in the real world, it doesn't mean it's the right course of action in the elder law right. or the legal world. And so while, while you and I will think it's the most normal thing on earth to pay our child $10 an hour um, to help do something or 20 or $30 an hour, or I had a client once who wanted to, who wanted to pay their child $3,000 an hour. That makes sense to us, and that's fantastic. But with that being said, there are problems that can be caused from that setup. And so you want to talk to your elder law attorney and get yourself protected now so you don't right. cause not, future problems. Not can be caused, will be caused. I mean, that's that's just the reality. Exactly. So I, I don't want to even it's say true. can. But also um, the second issue I want to discuss with adult caregiver children, though, is that you do also need to be very careful you need to understand um, what the rules are for gifting and what the consequences of taking those actions will be. Even if you choose to continue to do it, you need to know what those consequences are. And especially if you're the adult child, you need to know what that's going to mean later on down the road. I'll take that just a step further too, Nicole, and say also, you know, and this would be something I would always tell my clients, we, we have another step there too, where now you're an employee of your parents. And what does that look like for your own taxes going forward as you're earning income? What does it look like for their taxes? So I think you'd probably agree with me. It's a place where you and I as attorneys often say, you know, we also need to bring in, uh, you know, an accountant or or CPA to talk about this as well. Well, okay, Audrey. So then that leads to what would be the next logical question about that. (laughs) And you know where I'm going, right? Which is, well, don't I have a $14,000 per person per year gift exemption? Why can't I just use that? (laughs) 
Sure. And, and I think that, that highlights on what you said. You could use that. Of course, I, I frequently saw clients who gave the annual exclusion amount to their kids every year without fail or paid for a grandchild's college that way. You are making a gift. And um, while that's fine uh, for tax purposes, it is not fine in long-term care planning worlds. We, I would always tell my clients, let's put on our tax hat when we're talking about that annual gift. Now let's take off our tax hat and put on our long-term care hat. It's a completely different hat. And when we're looking at qualification for programs such as Medicaid, we are in a position where we cannot make what are called uncompensated transfers without a penalty. And an uncompensated transfer is a fancy term for the word gift. And in that situation, if you're going to give that $14,000 to someone for this year, um, which you're allowed to do for tax purposes, it could result, it probably will result in a 60-month penalty, 60 as in six zero, five-year penalty going forward where you wouldn't be able to apply for long-term care, such as Medicaid in your state, until that period has elapsed. If you did apply in that time period, you would have a penalty assessed for you for making that gift. So completely different from tax world where it's okay to make that gift. Now we're talking about a Medicaid or a long-term care planning rule. And so this is yet another great example of what you just talked about a minute ago, which is just, this is not intuitive, right? Just because it may make sense in one context doesn't mean it's going to make sense in another context. And so it's just really important for these adult children to be aware that these things may not make sense. And you may not you know, just because it seems to make sense doesn't mean that it's going to work in the legal world. And that's why you don't want to be in a situation where you're making what seems to be very rational decisions, but ultimately causing a big mess for your parents. Exactly. It really is the long-term care maze. It's a long-term care maze where in my office when I was practicing, in every room there was a giant poster um, which had a maze and it showed all the different long-term care options available in the state of Florida. And, and really, if you think about that, that's the best way to approach it as an adult child, that there are many paths to go through that maze that will get you to the end, to the successful outcome, but it may not be the intuitive path that you would have taken. And that's why it's so important to have that elder law attorney as a member of your team to talk to you, talk you through those options. That's great. Thank you so much for that, Audrey. No problem. Um, and then, of course, we didn't talk about this, but of course, nursing home is always available, also known as skilled care facility. Exactly, and that's that's the facility that you that you will in, that you will go to, or a loved one may go to, um, your parent may go to, in the point where they are missing activities of daily living. So that means you're requiring that twenty four seven, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week observation, and you're unable to perform certain basic functions or activities of daily living. And those are uh, bathing, preparing food, toileting, toileting, um, being able to get out of bed, which is called ambulating. So different things like that, and that's based on an evaluation um, going forward. Also, Often um, it's not the result of dementia or Alzheimer's. Often you'll find dementia or Alzheimer's wards found in assisted living facilities, um, safe environments within assisted living facilities because our seniors still have their activities of daily living. So the custodial care really is one of the, the last options in the long-term care field. That's right. All right. So let's move on to topic number four. Yes, so we've talked about, number one, the cost of long-term care rising in America. Number two, which is that our basic estate planning not being enough. We just finished number three, the long-term care options that are available in our communities. And now we're turning to number four, which is one of the things that really hits near and dear to my heart, but the legal responsibilities that an adult child may be asked to take on for a parent. 
And I'll say right off the bat, Nicole, those will be ones that we know about, um, that we've heard about, and ones that we have absolutely no idea are out there. I would say that the sleeping landmines that are out there. This concludes part three of our five-part series. In the next episode, Audrey and I will be discussing, as she mentioned, the different legal responsibilities that an adult child may be asked to take on for a parent and really what that means. Because I think that a lot of times you may not understand what you're really being asked to do and what your legal responsibilities might be in this. And so that's where we're going there. To learn more about this particular episode, please visit smartplanning101.com forward slash 17. And please leave a rating or review or comments. Let us know what you think about this series. We really do want to hear your feedback. And we absolutely hope that this has been helpful. Thanks a lot for listening. Now that you're starting to get the knowledge you need to make better planning decisions, don't let your journey stop there. You can gain access to Nicole's incredible guide, A Will is Your Ticket into Probate Court, the five crucial facts about wills everyone needs to know right now. And the best part is, you can download it for free by going to smartplanning101.com slash wills right now. Time is flying by, so don't wait another day to download this must-have guide, and we'll see you next time on the Smart Planning 101 Podcast. The information contained within this podcast does not constitute legal or financial advice. It's for general informational purposes only. For advice specific to your situation, consult with your legal or financial professional.